Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. We in America have a strong belief in moral reasoning. In the humanist worldview, there is no transcendent basis for moral reasoning. And you bring together a pluralistic culture, you have to find the answer to that question. Welcome back to Just Thinking. If you were listening to the program this week, you'll know that we're airing an open forum for Michigan State. And yesterday, a student asked that if we all agree that logic and scientific inquiry can lead to truth, how will that necessarily lead us to violence? We had a chance to share Abu Murray's answer yesterday, and today we'll hear Robbie Zacharias answer this question as well. Here's Robbie now. Your question is so good because it was raised by an atheist in the latter part of the 1800s, and that was Nietzsche himself. And Nietzsche is the one who popularized the phrase, God is dead. But he made two extensions from his belief. He said, if God has died in the 19th century, the 20th century will become the bloodiest century in history, and a universal madness will break out. So it was an atheist who said that. And the reason he said that is there's going to be no up or down. We are going to be perpetually falling backwards. And Nietzsche, of course, was right on both counts. He spent the last 13 years of his own life moving between sanity and insanity. And uh, in the 20th century, we killed more people in warfare than the previous 19 centuries put together. But your question has a very sharp point that we need to draw out. And I appreciate you asking it. These are the questions we wrestle with too. So I thank you for even asking it. And that is two assumptions that your question is making here. Number one, your question is assuming that humanism has a common ground for moral reasoning. It doesn't. There are seven different kinds of humanistic philosophies, all the way from Ayn Rand, you can go to Joseph Fletcher and various others who had their own theories of humanism. If you go back to the humanist's definition of what it means to be human, the definition of the humanist manifesto today is so different from the humanism that you go back to the times of the Renaissance. There it was man sort of glorying in all of the gifts that he was endowed with. Now the humanist manifesto goes strongly in the verbiage of silencing any transcendent motive for living. So humanism is not monolithic. It has changed its shades again and again. And today the very word progressivism comes out of the humanist manifesto. So I want to give you two illustrations of this. Joseph Stalin was a seminary student and then he renounced his faith in God. He became so stridently anti-theistic in the name of his own humanistic philosophy that Lenin cautioned the people that there was a deadly plan that could be working in his mind. I mean, while he was on his deathbed, he clenched his fist at the heavens one more time, threw his head back on the pillow, and he was gone. That was his last physical gesture, having obliterated 15 million of his own people. Now, here's what I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. It is 
wrong to think that humanism and atheism logically works out to a Joseph Stalin. No, but humanism and atheism lends itself to the extensions that a Joseph Stalin and a Lenin can make. What do I mean by that? A woman from overseas, a politician, came to see Stalin and said, how long do you expect to be torturing your own people and expect them to follow you? Stalin didn't answer. He asked for a live chicken to be brought to him. And the live chicken was brought to him, and he started defeathering that bird. And as the chicken struggled to break free, he denuded it completely. All feathers gone, put the chicken down, picked up a piece of bread, walked a few paces and bent down on this. The chicken came and pecked away at the bread. He said, Madam, do you have your answer? I tortured this chicken. It will follow me for food the rest of its life. People are like that chicken. You torture them and they will follow you for food the rest of their lives. I told this story at the Center for Geopolitical Strategy. The general who was sitting next to me, his lips started to quiver. He's a heavy set man, and we, my wife and I took him out for dinner that night. I saw him come to terms with ultimately giving his life to Christ. It was not that what Stalin did was the only outworking of his humanistic, atheistic worldview. It lent itself and provided the freedom to define people any way that he wanted to because it's a self-referencing definition. And the second fallacy is this. We in America have a strong belief in moral reasoning. It's one of the few countries with this hope of moral reasoning. In the humanist worldview, there is no transcendent basis for moral reasoning. And you bring together a pluralistic culture, you have to find the answer to that question. So humanism has two of the most fundamental issues that it struggles with and wrestles with. What does it mean to be human? Are we like that chicken to be tortured and followed by a food giver for the rest of our lives? What is the basis of moral reasoning? Those two questions are still unanswered in the humanist manifesto, given a pluralistic culture. Thank you. Uh, hi. Thank you for coming and speaking with us. Uh, I'm an atheist. So in response to my question, I ask that you appeal not to the Bible, as I, I have come to the conclusion that it's not evidence in itself. Uh, I'm, I'm asking for evidence to validate the Bible and a belief in God. So uh, just, just please keep that in mind in your answer. Uh, now, purpose is a question that arises as a result of human egoism, the desire for a validation of one's actions. Now, you've cited God as the answer to the question of purpose, but can you necessitate the question itself? Uh, can you cite evidence of purpose beyond the evolutionary drive to live? Thanks very much for the question. I think it's a great question. Um, when you look at some of the, 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 the biggest philosophers in life, when they ask the, the issues of purpose, and even the atheist philosophers are talking about purpose, we have this inner strive for it. Now, one might say, well, that's an evolutionary drive for purpose. I would beg to differ on this, because evolutionary drives for purpose, by, by definition, if it's got a survival characteristic, it is conducive to the species so that it survives and thrives in some way. So what you have to do is take an evolutionary drive figure out what that would be, why we'd ask questions like, what are the two moons on Mars? What are, their, you know, what are they shaped like? Why does the sun have uh, a spin of itself? What magnetic fields does it create? All these things. You know what doesn't ask these questions? Lions. 
they're irrelevant to the survivability of that particular species. So we don't ask questions that are just like, how can I make a better birdcage to capture the food? How can I do these things? What we ask is questions like, why? In fact, Dawkins said that why questions are meaningless, yet we persist in asking them. So on an evolutionary paradigm, if what we do is constantly look for things that help us to survive and to find the right mates and all these things, the question we have to ask, the why question, is why do we do that? It serves no evolutionary purpose. For example, if you look at the way the, the, the Earth is actually situated, our solar system is situated within the galaxy of the Milky Way, in between the armbands of the Milky Way galaxy. If we were in the armbands, the sky would be white. We'd be unable to see anything. If we were too close to the center, we would either be destroyed by the radiation or whatever else might be. We are in exactly the right spot so we can explore the universe. And we begin to look out there and look around. This doesn't help us at all. There's no evolutionary drive for us to ask questions no one's actually answering or actually cares to answer on an evolutionary drive. So we look for purpose. We look for a place in the universe. And if we do that, and it serves no evolutionary purpose, and evolutionary purposes drive all of our decisions, then it seems to be an anomaly. Now you could say, well, we'll figure it out one of those things. And that's one of the problems. If you look at a, a book by an atheist, by the way, I would appeal to you to look at a book by an atheist. Two books I would recommend to you. The first one is called Mind and Cosmos by Thomas Nagel, one of our finest philosophers in the United States. He wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos, where he tries to explain why human beings have a consciousness that asks why questions, why there's morality. He says the naturalistic evolutionary processes that explain these things are not valid. They just don't add up. Follow up to him is a scientist who's both a Darwinist and a neuroscientist, and he says what he calls neuromania. Neuromania is the, the drive to explain everything through the configuration of your neurons. And Darwinitis, the quest to explain everything that we do through Darwinism. He takes these two things apart. He says, look, I'm a neuroscientist. I believe in neuroscience. I'm a Darwinist. I ascribe to evolution. But these two things, in principle, can't actually explain why you are more than a gifted chimp. You're more than that. Because you ask the why questions, evolution doesn't actually explain it. They've tried to do it over and over again, and all it does is Raymond Tallis, who wrote that book, Aping Mankind, says, all that is is ad hoc. You're trying to create an evolutionary purpose because you believe evolutionary purposes explain everything. If they explain everything, they'll explain this. It's tautological. Evolution explains everything. This needs to be explained. Therefore, evolution explains it. But it doesn't explain it as many have pointed out. So when the Bible says, and I'm gonna not quote the Bible, but when the Bible says, you are looking for a purpose, and there's something that's grander outside of you, we have to ask ourselves, why do we ask those things? Why do we look for those things? There's no evolutionary purpose that can be ascribed to why you care what the rings of Saturn are made of. There's no evolutionary purpose to that. But what the Bible does say, and I will quote it back to you only because I think it actually does corroborate what I'm saying. In Proverbs 25, verse 2, makes this amazing statement, because oftentimes I think religion is seen as a science stopper, not a science inspirer. I think it's quite the opposite. In Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to search them out. Now, why is that? Why do we look for these things we can't see? that God has almost hidden from us, that we takes an intelligence and a desire to find these things because we delight in the discovery. When my son, he had one of these little speaking spells, one of these like uh, fake laptops, it's like a Spider-Man laptop, but it's just a computer that spits out words at him. It's not an actual laptop. He was, we were sitting at a kitchen table 
And there he was, and he was playing on this thing. And I'm talking to my wife, and he's playing on this speaking spell, whatever it's called, and he says, hat. He was a baby. He said, hat. I'm like, what? what in the world? And I look over there, and I see. He read the word hat. I'm like, oh my goodness, and what's the next word? He said, fat, bat, rat. Any more at words? I was super excited, and he was squealing with delight. You know what's interesting in that? Is that in that exchange, he was squealing in delight because of the learning that was happening. But of the two of us, the one who was more delighted was me. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter because it is the glory of kings to seek them out. He discovered something, but I as his father delighted more. I think that God puts the why questions into your and my heart, not because only so that you can delight in discovery, but so that he can delight when you discover it. Were there questions on today's program that you wish you could discuss with others? Or maybe you just want to dig deeper into those topics. If so, check out RZIM Connect, where you can ask your faith questions with those around the globe and pray with one another. Find out more information on our website at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. And you can purchase a copy of this Q&A series titled Michigan State Q&A on our website as well or by calling us at one 800 448 6766. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio broadcast, and your gifts allow RZIM to continue creating resources like this. You can donate online or by calling us at 1-800-448-6766. Thank you for helping us as we seek to answer questions and share the gospel with gentleness and respect.